What's that? We, um, <clears throat> we are resuming now our study of Romans. What's funny about that? Well, and I guess the um, holiday season is over. <clears throat> um, like many of you and like many people this morning who are still traveling, our family uh, got out of town over the holidays. Uh, last week after church, we uh, headed off to Mary's folks up in Pennsylvania. We were there for a few days, went up to my parents in Connecticut. And uh, one of the days we were there, we went into New York with the girls. My folks took them to a, see a Broadway show, and uh, we got to see the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, and I was struck on this trip by the fact that all of these impressive and famous people who accomplished all of these impressive and famous things are still people. It kind of occurred to me as we're looking at some of these portraits at the the Met, these people who are legendary, these people who are on our money, who have schools named after them, who have towns named after them, they're real people. You look at the portrait of Benjamin Franklin there on the wall, and you see a human being. You see human qualities to the man. As we're driving over these bridges named after governors and war heroes, I realize these are people who did the things that people do to get through the day. They had to deal with the things that the rest of us deal with, and they're real people. And I think one of the things that I regret about my upbringing was that I was introduced to all sorts of greatness. I was given piano lessons, and I was taught about the great Beethoven and the great Mozart and the great Bach. And the great Bartok that I never thought was all that great and kind of still don't. And when I was in school and read about the great Homer and the great Shakespeare and the great Dickens and all these great, great artists and people. And I would go to church and now we shall have the reading from the Lord and and we would have the reading from the Gospel according to St. John and it would be read as this majestic presentation, which in some ways it is. But at the same time, John was, John was this guy, you know? Anybody remember The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Remember? And, and uh, they interviewed uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Remember, he's what, the, the emperor of the universe or something? And they interview his, his therapist and... And they say, tell us about it. And they say, well, Zephyr's just this guy, you know. Paul, who wrote Romans, was this guy. He was a real person. He was a real person who lived and died. Right? So when you're reading this text, just because this is sacred scripture, just because this is holy writ, just because this is inspired of God and therefore authoritative and trustworthy, entirely reliable. Don't miss the fact that the guy who wrote it was a guy. If you had met him, you could have shaken his hand and had a conversation with him. If you were his physician, he would have complained to you about things. If you woke up in bed next to him, you would have encountered his bad breath in the morning. 
This is true of Paul. This is true of the prophets. This is true of the patriarchs. This was true of Jesus himself. One of the things that we try to do here at, at New Hope was when we, is when we encounter these texts, which we do, and we do, I hope, dynamically and actively, we encounter them as things that people wrote. And so as we encounter these texts that the people wrote, there's a way in which we get to encounter the people themselves and realize that they are real people dealing with real situations these letters in the New Testament are written by real people to real people, in some cases to real dumb people or to real stupid and obnoxious people or to real disobedient people as well as to real wonderful people. But these are written by real people. And Paul was a real person. Paul himself was a hard-traveling man like Woody Guthrie. Not a communist, unlike Woody Guthrie, but Paul did a good deal of traveling in his day. If you look in the book of Acts, and I'd encourage you to do this as we're reading through Romans, you can read in Acts about the story of how Paul encountered all these various churches that he's writing to. Most of them he founded himself. And uh, Dave, if you want to throw that first map up, let me see if I can find my magic pointer thingy here. Uh, yeah, that one. Thanks. Yep. So Paul took three three big trips, three big missionary journeys. Uh, the first in uh, in the mid forties, mid to late forties, and and this is in chapters thirteen to fourteen of Acts. If you want to go back and read about it later, uh, this was a, a, a reasonably short one. He went up into the uh, interior of what today is Turkey, planted some churches. Came back. the The second missionary journey was. Uh, I guess we can't click forward and backward. Uh, Dave will throw it up in a second. The second one was from about forty nine to fifty two. That was the one that that uh, you covers a whole lot of ground in the book of Acts, chapters fifteen to eighteen. This is Paul. Uh, basically, he he goes up again, visits some of his old churches through the mainland, uh, uh, the in, inland of. Uh, Modern-day Turkey goes through Troas, classic story in Troas, one of my favorites. Anybody remember what happened in Troas, otherwise known as Troy? Anybody remember what happened there? One of the best things ever in the Bible. You think there's no humor in the Bible, you're just not paying attention. This is the one where where, uh, Paul is preaching in in Troas, and uh, he's up on the third floor, and there's this kid sitting in the window, and Paul bores him to death, literally. The kid falls asleep, falls out of the window and dies. And Paul goes down and, uh, and wakes him back up. Uh, but, uh, you know, Paul basically tumbles down the coast of Greece here. Uh, his, his deal was he would show up, Paul would, would show up in, t- in a town and he'd first go to the synagogue, right? Paul had been trained as a, uh, as a, a rabbi under uh, the great, again, the great, Rabbi Gamaliel, who was also a dude, who said some very wise things that we have recorded in the book of Acts. But Paul was, having studied under this legendary rabbi, when he showed up in a synagogue, he was welcomed and he was invited to speak. And then immediately the people invited him, kind of regretted doing that, because he'd go and tell them about Jesus, who is Messiah. 
which is not necessarily what the people wanted to hear. So usually what would happen was he'd speak in the synagogue, and then he'd get thrown out and often beaten up, and then he would have to either find someplace else in town to preach, or he would just get run out of town. He ends up uh, rolling down the, down the coast, ends up in Corinth, where he plants a church with which he, as you remember, has all sorts of problems. He ends up in Ephesus, stays in Ephesus for a couple of years after he uh, nearly gets uh, thrown out, in this case, by the, the local silversmiths. He preaches so powerfully against idols that the people turn away from idolatry, which, if you're in the idol business, is not very helpful. But uh, it's, it's here in Ephesus that he ends up writing these letters to the Corinthian churches, First and Second Corinthians that we'd studied before here. He heads back to uh, Jerusalem, and then in the third missionary journey, Dave, if you want to pull that up, uh, on, on Paul's third missionary journey, this is chapters 18 through 21 of Acts, so this is in the mid-50s uh, AD, Paul sets off from Antioch, again visits some of these churches that he had planted, goes down, uh, visits Corinth, and uh, while he's in Corinth, he does, of all things, this uh, writing job. He writes a book of Romans. And this, this church that had given him so much grief, obviously by this point has become, has had its re- relationship with Paul reconciled and restored. And he is able, in all places, in Corinth, to write this majestic letter to the church at Rome. Now, as, as he writes in this letter to Rome, to, to the church at Rome, he is interested in making a fourth missionary journey. And where he wants to go, anybody remember where Paul ultimately wants to go? To Spain. Yeah, which is like there, sort of. Right? Church in Rome is here in Rome. Paul wants to go all the way to Spain, and he's looking at Rome as a nice stopping off point, which, you know, basically back in the day, before you could uh, book online, you had to make arrangements with people uh, in a town that you wanted to stay in. And one of the things he's doing here in Rome, in Romans, is he's telling this church in Rome, hey, look, I'm going to be coming through. God has called me to this work, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I can visit you. I'm hoping that I can stay with you. I'm hoping that we can encourage one another, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you've got a nice comfy bed for me because I'm going to be going off to Spain. Rome would be a nice place to stop. And, and I'll, I'll forward ahead a little bit to the, the end of Romans where he talks about these plans. End of, uh, this is chapter 15 for the end of Romans. He says, starting in verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And here Paul is talking about the work God had called him to planting these churches and nurturing them and leading them. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. And if you think about it, again, given Paul's background, he's probably the last guy you would think of as the apostle to the Gentiles, right? He was raised as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a a young Jew in a hurry. He was... Uh, advancing, he says, beyond all people of, of his age. But nevertheless, God called him specifically to the ministry of planting churches among non-Jews, among the Gentiles uh, in the uh, Mediterranean basin. And so he says, 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So Paul here is referring to all the, the miraculous things that God had done through him that God used to build his church. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. And it's always been my, my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So Paul was interested in doing frontier work. He wanted to go places where the gospel had not yet been heard and make sure that it was proclaimed. And I didn't really want to build, Paul says. I didn't want to be building on somebody else's foundation. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, I'm a starter. I don't want to maintain something that somebody else started. But rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. And Paul says, this is my job, to talk to those who have not heard to show those who haven't seen. And he says, and, and this is why, incidentally, I've often been hindered from coming to you. There's a subtext here that the Romans kind of wondered why Paul hadn't been by yet. I mean, Paul is the big hotshot apostle of the Gentiles, and the Romans are in Rome, after all. I mean, they're, they're right there in the belly of the beast. This is a church in the capital of the Roman Empire, right? The world's only superpower at the time. And if there's any church that's important that deserves a visit from Paul, the great apostle of the Gentiles, it's probably the church at Rome, right? So there's a sense in which Paul's saying, now, you know, look, uh, maybe it wasn't as important for me to go there as it was for me to go some other places. But now, he says, now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, in other words, I've managed to cover all that territory And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I do plan to do so when I go to Spain, which I hear is lovely this time of year. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. From Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Macedonia here, Achaia, Greece here. the um, that that offering for Jerusalem, by the way, is is what's going on there. You remember in Second Corinthians eight and nine, where Paul is talking about this collection that the Corinthians have been very uh, quick to pledge on and not so quick to pay on, <clears throat> where, where he mentions that there are going to be some people coming by to pick up the check. It would be really awkward for them and for him, but especially for them, if the check was not ready when the guys came to pick it up. This is about supporting the church in Jerusalem. The, the mother church in Jerusalem was facing severe persecution, was, was under extreme poverty. And one of the ways that Paul, who was always viewed with a little bit of suspicion by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, one of the ways that Paul was trying to demonstrate his bona fides, one of the ways that Paul was trying to make sure people knew that he was, he was part of Part of what God was doing, and he was not neglecting the Jewish church. He was not uh, rejecting them or, or declining to, to take them seriously or, or ignoring their importance. He was collecting resources from the Gentiles to bring to Jerusalem. He says, Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They're pleased to do it. And truth is, Paul says they owe it to them. I mean, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... And they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task, after I've made sure that they have received this fruit, I'll go to Spain and I'll visit you on the way. And I know 
that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So Paul is looking forward to seeing the Romans. He's made it clear that there are good reasons why he hasn't been there yet. And in fact, as you read in the, in the, the narratives in, in the book of Acts about these journeys, there are times when he wants to go someplace and he says, well, I was prevented. Sometimes he says, I was prevented by the Spirit of Christ. Other times he just said, I wanted to go someplace and I couldn't go there. We're not quite sure all that was going on. He just wasn't able to. So here in chapter 1, verse 8, after he's given his introduction that we looked at before the holidays, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world, which is, again, not, not unlikely. I mean, this, of course, is the church at Rome in the heart of the Roman Empire. There are people who have bowed the knee to Jesus And God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Paul is saying that we have been in relationship for years. You and I are, are both in Christ. We both have a relationship with God through Jesus. The Spirit of the God that lives in me is the Spirit of the God that lives in you. So I have been in relationship with you through prayer and mysteriously through the Spirit all these years. Finally, I'm going to get a chance to see you in person. But don't don't forget that I have been praying for you. I have been concerned about you. You, you. I haven't ignored you. I do pray that now, finally, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come and see you personally. And I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And uh, that is to say, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. The way the Greek goes there, there's almost a sense that Paul sort of steps back a little bit. And I don't, you know, I'm not trying to give the impression that, oh, I'm, you know, you need something from me and that's all this is about. I, I, I benefit from you as much as you benefit from me. We're going to strengthen one another. We can be a blessing to one another. And, and, and I don't want you to be unaware, my brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so till now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. But of course, when Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, that probably implies what? Some people were unaware, right? I mean, you know, now, like the sign at SeaWorld that says, please don't jump in and swim with the killer whales, that may just be there because somebody thought ahead and not because somebody actually tried to do that. But usually when you find stuff like this, it means that Paul has gotten word that there's some folks who, who think that Paul just was ignoring them, just neglecting them. He didn't really care about them. Paul says, no, you got, please no, don't, you know, I don't want you to be unaware. I've been trying to come to you. I planned many times. It didn't work out, but... In order that I, but but now we're finally gonna gonna be able to do this. Hopefully, turns out when he does make it to Rome, he makes it to Rome in chains, and ends up spending a few years in Rome. Unfortunately, in a dungeon before he gets his head lopped off. But that's later. But look, Paul says, Greeks, non-Greeks, wise and stupid. I'm I'm obligated to everybody. I mean, I I've, I have obligations to everybody. That includes you, but it's not just you. 
But because it does include you, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. And that last verse is funny, isn't it? Right? I mean, he's writing to whom here? No, the answer is not Jesus. To whom is he writing the letter? To Romans. Yeah, specifically to, to what kind of Romans? Christian Romans, right? He's writing the gospel to, he says in the beginning, uh, to all in Rome, verse 7, who are loved by God and called saints. Right? So, why on earth would he need to preach the gospel to them? They already heard it, right? Obviously, they already heard it. They're, they got saved. They came to faith. They joined the team. They accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, personally and corporately. I think the reason... What's that? Well, partly to reestablish. Maybe some of them needed to be reminded. But I think one of the reasons for this is that the gospel is not just about getting saved. The gospel is not just about getting in. The gospel is good news, not just about what happens later. It's good news about what happens now. The gospel is the good news about being in Christ, about living in him, about living by the power of the spirit, about being part of the work that the almighty and eternal God is doing, about being his partner in the work of cosmic reconciliation. The gospel isn't just good news about getting saved from hell later, though it is that. The gospel is good news about how you live now in your work, in your marriage, in your family. It is the power of God, as we're going to see, next week for salvation of everyone who believes. And that salvation isn't just something that happens later. It's something that we begin to experience now. So when Paul preaches the gospel to those who are at Rome, he wants to share with them the good news that is true now, that is real now. One of the reasons that we, when we take communion, as we're going to do in a moment, we, when we do that, we, we all get up and recite the Nicene Creed, is because we are affirming this gospel is true now. And we're doing that with the saints throughout the ages. And again, when we do that, we're not doing it with these great saints throughout the age. We're doing it with real people. St. Augustine was a real person. St. Jerome was a real person. A real difficult person in many ways, I understand. Origen was a real person. Calvin, Luther, Luther especially, difficult, real person. Wesley, real, real difficult person if you ask his wife. Karl Barth, real person. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, real person. Billy Graham is a real person. I have that on good authority from people who've met him. And we are real people living real lives. We get up in the morning and realize it wasn't a good idea to eat so many of those olives with the jalapenos in them. That's what real people do. We go to a game and we hope our team wins and we deal with the loss or the win. That's what real people do. 
We have struggles in our marriages. We have struggles with our children, with our parents, with our bosses, with our employees. We wonder what to do with money. We wonder what to do without money. Because this is what real people do. But the gospel is good news in the midst of all that. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. So you stand up with me. Share in these words of the creed that God's people have spoken so many times. Even now as we do this around the world, there are people who are about to do this, people who have just done this, and people who are doing it alongside us at the same time as we are. Then after that, I'll invite you to come up and to take the elements. The red is wine, the white is grape juice, the bread is unleavened. Please take the elements with you back to your seat and we'll partake of them together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.